0: live from northern california it's lifeline with craig roberts he's the host of northern california's longest running conservative talk show he's a man with a message a conservative with compassion he's lifeline's own craig roberts
1: I'd like you kindly and good afternoon to you it is Five minutes after the hour, five o'clock on this April 6th, a Thursday, more accurately put, Monday, Thursday, a date significant on the Christian calendar as it marks the Last Supper. And of course, leading into tomorrow, Good Friday, and then on Sunday, of course, Celebration of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Many of us looking forward to services at church either tomorrow, perhaps tomorrow, and again on Sunday, and churches will be full all across the San Francisco Bay Area, the nation, and quite frankly, across the planet, as this one of the most important holy holy days on the Christian calendar. Sadly for one Bay Area congregation, they will not be celebrating Good Friday nor Resurrection Sunday, Easter, in their church building for the first time in nearly some 30 years. Congregation that is certainly not a stranger to dealing with loss and tragedy. I'm speaking of what is the oldest African-American church In the city of Oakland and perhaps one of the oldest ones in Northern California, if not the entire state, that tragically had to deal with the second major historically um, grave event of tragedy visiting this um, wonderful building as a result Back in 1989 of the Loma Prieta earthquake and more recently back in February of a tragic fire. To talk a bit about not just what happened but most importantly how the congregation is coming together and working through all of this. We're joined by the senior pastor of the first African-American Episcopal Methodist Episcopal Church in the city of Oakland. Pastor Dr. Rodney Smith. And Dr. Smith, thank you so much, particularly on this date for carving out some time to be with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. As I mentioned, uh, this is not the, uh, the first time that your congregation has to deal with, uh, with tragedy. Back in uh, 1989, some 34 years ago, the Loma Prieta earthquake did significant damage to the building. The congregation rallied together, rebuilt. The uh, proverbial phoenix rose once again. And uh, yet here you find yourselves once again facing um, a tragic set of circumstances. Take us back, if you would, for folks in the Bay Area that maybe weren't following the news at the time. Tell us what happened with this fire and um, how much information has come forward in terms of understanding the the origin of it all.
2: Well, it's been a long journey. Uh, We have been through a lot as a congregation. Uh, We got the call in mid-late February on a Sunday evening that, I got the call that uh, I needed to come to the church. The alarms uh, were going off. And in this particular case, all of the doors were signifying that there was something wrong, which was the reason that the leadership called me. And when I got to the church, I was in for a big surprise. Uh, When I got there, the church was in a three-alarm fire. Fire trucks were out. The streets were blocked off, and I was watching in complete shock and amazement to see the church uh, burning. Uh, First Army Church moved to that location in 1954, and as you've stated, the historical significance of the church is uh, great. We've survived earthquakes. We've survived a number of things, but one thing we were unable to survive this time was a massive fire.
1: Your heart it clearly must sank. I mean, first off, just getting a telephone call that an alarm is going off. Things begin to go through your mind. Is somebody broken in? Is there vandalism taking place? What am I going to find when I arrive there? And so when you got to the scene and saw the smoke, no doubt, billowing in the sky, the presence of the fire trucks um, it m- must have just uh, crushed your heart. Give us a sense, if you would, um, in the ensuing month here or so, obviously, there's been uh, investigations taking place not only by uh, Oakland Fire Department, but I understand the uh, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms has also investigated. I- is there any sense so far as to the origins?
2: Well, from what we know, uh, the report shows that the, st- the fire started on the outside of the church. So, to give you some context, First Family Church is on uh, the corner of 37th and Telegraph. Uh, Literally a block from the church is a homeless encampment encampment, and right behind the church is a homeless encampment. And so historically, over the last decade, uh, we have had numerous accounts of persons trying to stay warm, trying to just survive. And we believe uh, I can't confirm, but we believe that this was a case of an accidental fire that started with persons who were really just trying to survive. It's really an unfortunate situation and really a shock and awe to me as the pastor because, uh, we serve that community. We prior to the fire. We were serving three hot meals. Uh, we knew, we know the people by name, we know who comes, Uh, But this is just another example of some of the challenges of living in the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly so. In terms of the degree of uh, devastation, I know that at least initially uh, the building had been red-tagged. At this point, you're you're, uh, holding church services elsewhere. What is the sense in terms of the reports as to uh, how much damage the fire has done?
2: Well... Surprisingly, when I did the tour of the church, there were a lot of things that were visibly intact. Um, the fire pretty much ate up the roof of the church. The problem is that fire burned for seven plus hours. And so it was heavily damaged with water. And if you've been paying attention to just the weather in the Bay Area, half of the church's uh, roof was burned up from the fire and so at this point there's just a lot of water damage that has just uh, devastated whatever the fire didn't get um, and so initially what the fire didn't get the water did I mean you know the, the Oakland uh, Fire Department was out there uh, over eight hours uh, putting, putting a, a large amount of, of water in that building and so a lot of what we're visibly seeing is the devastation from the water damage as well as the roof and some other things that were burnt up from the fire. So we, we got hit two ways.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly so. And, of course, water damage in a fire is is to be expected, but with the damage to the roof and then the just incessant rains that we've had really since the beginning of the year. I can see where you go from a fire devastation to flooding devastation quite quickly. Is there a timeline, Pastor, in terms of, you know, there's there's cleanup and then there's reconstruction? And I would imagine some of these uh, efforts would take months, years perhaps, to come to fruition. What's sort of the the medium-range goal for the church and and the plans for the congregation in terms of rebuilding?
2: Well, we're going to rebuild. Uh, Our challenges are pretty much the timeline and the process of what this takes when you go through the insurance process and the cleanup of the building. We have not been uh, permitted to go in the building. Mm. The... uh, investigations have completed but the insurance process is ongoing uh, and so once we get through that process uh, we're going to as a congregation make a, a serious assessment of what the future looks like for our church and when we rebuild uh, we want to address several issues that plague the Bay Area as well as build a, a new sanctuary that will uh, be able to accommodate the needs of twenty first century church
1: here in America. So your your thought is not to necessarily look backwards, although as we've mentioned, there there's a lot about this church and its congregation and the presence in the city of Oakland that is enormously historic, but the vision is really forward looking then.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. We we want to use this opportunity and I've I've been on the record of saying this, you know, what has happened to same Oakland we can use this tragedy and turn it into a positive. And that's exactly what we wanna do. Uh, we wanna use uh, the spotlight that has been put on our church to uh, bring attention to some of the serious needs that the Bay Area has. And uh, since we already know we have to rebuild, we can use this rebuild to uh, begin to address a number of issues that our community faces on a day-to-day basis. And that's what we plan to do. and We've already started those conversations Listen, I'm telling you, I have been just overwhelmed and excited of the amount of people in the Bay Area who have completely stepped up to the uh, stepped up to the plate. Churches, nonprofit organizations, the leadership—it has really been mind-blowing of uh, the unity that has occurred because of what has happened to our
1: church. And you, know, at the end of the day, that really is the, the, the mark of what the body of Christ is supposed to be about. That, you know, when, when one hurts, we all hurt. I mean, we've all gone through experiences. You slam your hand in the car door and every aspect of your body seems to ache. Well, I think the same thing is true when a congregation um, suffers some loss, maybe at the unexpected uh, passing of a pastor or in the case like this, a tragic fire uh, that devastates. States, the building. And again, at the end of the day, the church is not a building, it is people. And to see people come together and want to encourage one another during times of crisis and and really show that sense of resilience, not only in terms of of love for one another, but the testimony before the world around us uh, is a hallmark of what the body is supposed to be. If you've just joined us, Pastor Dr. Rodney Spith is with us today. He's Senior Pastor at the First African Methodist Episcopal Church in the City of Oakland, a historic church, not only the oldest African American church in the city of Oakland, with roots that go way back to literally what had been a small 20 by 30 redwood schoolhouse at the early, early days of the church's history, uh, clear back in the 1860s to, of course, that spectacular uh, building that that stood there in uh, Oakland at Seventh and Market for so many years. And uh, this, as I mentioned earlier, is not the first time this congregation uh, has had to deal with the tragedy. And undoubtedly, as they recouped from the 1989 earthquake that had a pretty significant damage to the sanctuary, there's no doubt that they will also recoup from this and build back better and build back stronger. When we come back, some of the spiritual lessons from this experience as our conversation with Pastor Dr. Rodney Smith continues on this Monday-Thursday edition of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation, Pastor Dr. Rodney Smith with us. He is senior pastor at First African Methodist Episcopal Church in the city of Oakland. As you are um, perhaps aware, the church suffered a pretty devastating fire back in February. And so now it's a matter of not just uh, clean up, but moving forward and continuing on the day-to-day life of the church. Toward that end, uh, Pastor, uh, there must have been some struggles for you personally in the sense that um, you were called here to California, having been serving um, in Fort Mitchell, Alabama, I understand, until 2020. And of course, 2020, as we know, was started with COVID. And then there were wildfires that reached into the San Francisco Bay Area in the fall of that year. And then, of course, now this devastating fire. There there must be a couple of moments in your tenure as senior pastor when you're, you're wondering whether God perhaps gave you the wrong zip code to. <laughs> to be called to?
2: Well, I'll tell you, that's an interesting question. Uh, so I've only been the senior pastor for two years, and I have jokingly told this story since the fire. The day that I, my family and I arrived here in the Bay Area, the sky was orange. And as you just stated, uh, the fires in Oakland, the Bay Area was happening, and it was actually the day that you could not see the sky. And I walked out the plane, true story, looked up to the sky and said, oh, God, what have I gotten myself into? Not knowing that two years later, uh, the church would catch on fire, one of the historical churches, not just in the Bay Area, but in the state of California, you know, Fame Oakland has a, a series of significance. You know, in the late 1850s, uh, Fame Oakland actually started as a, actually a school. Uh, there's a family called the flood, uh, flood, F-L-O-O-D family, who started a school 20 years before uh, 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 Oakland public schools would allow uh, African-Americans to attend a public school. So our history runs deep, and you're absolutely right. The, it's it's ironic, and, you know, to some degree, God has a sense of humor. I show up on the day that the Bay Area is burning, and two years later, the church actually literally burns uh, down. So uh, it has been a challenge.
1: But I imagine in that challenge, I mean, certainly my life experience has been when these kinds of events happen and they tend sometimes to group together. You know, the the, the old adage, when the enemy comes in like a flood, you know, God has got a plan to do something supernatural. What is your sense as you look at all of this and just your your short tenure here in the Bay Area? As much as I know that the congregation undoubtedly is is experiencing pain right now and, and, and logically and rightfully so, but you do you get a sense too that you feel the hand of god moving in and through all this tragedy?
2: Oh, absolutely, 100%. Uh true story. Uh, when I arrived to the church, uh, the first the first sense is shock, uh disbelief, numbness. And then as I stood there watching the fire burn, there was a sense of calmness that came over me because I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God was calling me to a greater thing. And I will tell you something, this process over the last month, I have been in awe of how God has used fame to bring so many communities together. I want to say something to the viewers. We are a Christian church who is having worship in a synagogue and my prayers are out to Israel and Jerusalem and all that's going on overseas. Uh, but I want to tell you, people have really come together, and fame has shown uh, we can cross religious barriers, we can cross cultural barriers, uh, black people, white people, Chinese people, asia I mean, all over the globe, people have shown a great sense of love to First Family Church, and I am so grateful to this community for stepping up to the plate. God, God has literally turned a tragedy into a moment of unity, and we're grateful
1: for that. Well, Pastor, we appreciate you taking some time to uh, share a bit of the story, and uh, most certainly I want to urge all of our listeners, uh, eavesdropping on our conversation here this afternoon, uh, as we head into this holiest of weeks, uh, particularly with tomorrow being Good Friday, uh, to be praying for you, praying for your congregation. We know that there are some challenging days ahead. Um, you, you, You were ordained for the ministry. You're about to figure out what it means to be a, a general contractor too, I would suppose yeah, I as, as as all of this uh, moves forward um, and, uh, and and just grateful for everybody too that um, that has come forward and stood with the church and I want to urge our listeners to be praying for you and the church moving forward um, facing uh, undoubtedly some big challenges uh, in many respects but I, I love your your sense of, of enthusiasm your demonstration of faith and and you forward-looking that's sense of vision that you know it, it, it's sad what has happened but that's in the past let's look at what God has called us to do and move forward and see if we can build back bigger and better and stronger and do everything we can to continue to serve the community in which uh, you are are based and uh, there's a lot to be said for that so um, Dr. Smith again thank you so much and for folks thank listening you. that say you know I'm certainly going to be putting the, the, the congregation of um, first African Methodist Episcopal at the top of my my prayer list, but if folks want to do something practical, I understand there's also a GoFundMe page available? There is a
2: GoFundMe out there. Uh, I think the easiest way beyond that is uh, we have a very secured uh, PO box and mailing address. If you just uh, look up First Amy Church Oakland, the address will come up and we are accepting donations uh, sent directly to that church and checks made out to the to the church, First AME Church Oakland. And, yes, there is an official GoFundMe, but um, if you want to just write a check or send it directly to the church, we're able to do that as well.
1: Great, and I know folks can get information relating to the address uh, online at the church website. Um, abbreviation for First African Methodist Episcopal FAME, F-A-M-E, FAME Oakland dot O-R-G. That's FAME Oakland our thanks to pastor dr rodney smith for being with us on this edition of lifeline and dr smith thank you again for your time and we're praying for you and for the congregation
0: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts welcome
1: back to the conversation well the good news after nearly a 49 year long battle we finally saw the United States Supreme Court reverse its horrific 73 decision uh, vacating the so-called legality of abortion on demand in America based on this, you know, made out of legal nonsense notion of uh, the right to privacy uh, and handing the decision on such matters back to the states. Of course, the challenge there is it's created this patchwork quilt of some states do, some states don't. State like California, let's not even discuss it. Others like Idaho, um, passing a law now that um, can potentially send an individual who is engaged in assisting a minor to cross the border into another state for an abortion. Anywhere between two and five years of prison. Further complicating the matter is what's happening with the pharmaceutical angle here. Um, RU-486, other abortifacients that have been around for, oh my goodness, a better part of over 20 years now. um, Some states allow it, other states do not let's kind of get caught up on what all of this means and what the long-term implications are as even the pharmacies are trying to figure out the uh, the significance of all of this. Karen Roseberry joins us, spokesperson with the California Pro-Life Council. Karen, sadly in a state like California, we know that it's no holds barred. You're ultimately I think going to see a lot of uh, the so-called uh, <coughs> pardon me abortion tourism taking place. <coughs> Hey, coming to our state. But, but what, what of the aspects related to, in particular, uh, pharmaceutical companies, patients? I mean, I can see people ordering medications from across states. How do you even begin to control that kind of trafficking or activity?
3: Wow, that's a tremendous question. Craig, thank you so much for having me on. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the federal government is still trying to play... In this arena, uh, largely through an exercise of the FDA. Uh, you know about 53% of abortions are performed as a result of, of the abortion cell that RU-486 that you were referencing. And so... It becomes very challenging for states to, to legislate these, these medical and these chemical abortions that are taking place, um, especially as you have more and more states that are recognizing the, the life that is present of, of this, this child um, when there's heartbeats that are detected and that they're beginning to enact legislation to protect uh, these, these human lives. And so they're attempting to ensure that these drugs are not crossing into their state territories. And so we are starting to see uh, more of, of the restrictions in, in states where life is being protected. And then on the contrary, as much as you also identified in states like California, uh, there is pressure to... Demand that every state make available uh, chemical, you know, medical uh, abortions, you know, this way. In fact, Governor Newsom even went so far as to threaten Walgreens, who said, well, we can't actually sell the abortion pill in states where it's illegal to do so, um, because that touches on the other point that you were raising about it being available in, in pharmacies, so you have both, whether it's coming by mail or if it's in pharmacies, but there are states that, that are saying, no, um, this is in violation of, of our law for how we are defining life, and so it becomes a very gray and murky and muddled area. And then, like, like I say, as we were talking about with, with Newsom, he's saying, well, you know, you have to allow this in. And, and others are saying, well, we can't because states have that right that we've been now in that patchwork quilt you described very aptly with the, trying to figure out where their laws are going to protect life as opposed to other states that do not offer those
1: same Well, and here's the big concern, Karen, and, and we just saw, I think this kind of paints a picture of, of, of uh, the, the potential danger here. We just saw in the news recently um, accusations against the San Jose Police Officers Association director um, for allegedly trafficking in um, illicit drugs, fentanyl and, and whatever else, mm. ordering it from multiple locations, ordering it from overseas and redistributing it. So mm-hmm. then it it raises the question in some of these states that do have strong pro-life restricted laws what is to prevent an individual a young lady from saying well i, I know i it's impractical for me to leave the state but to go online purchase drugs from another state or even from overseas and we know that there is a history. Because many of these abortifacients are, are really not thoroughly vetted by the FDA, we know that certainly there is a, a lethalness to them uh, almost 100% of the time for the baby, but there have been occurrences too uh, where there have been very severe side effects for the woman. And, of course, if a woman is ordering these, these drugs that basically upsets the 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 prenatal process and has already medically been proven to have potential dangers uh, 100% of the time obviously to to the child but also to the mother to the woman, what kind of protections are going to be in place if a woman says, well, I'm going to order this stuff from across state lines or from another country, and now all of a sudden you don't know what medication you're taking nor the kind of potential impact. We, we could start reading stories about people that are dying because states are not doing enough in order to, to regulate this kind of, uh, of trafficking and these drugs from across state lines.
3: Oh, you are entirely correct, especially the, the pills that they may get from outside of the country. They they don't even necessarily have to follow the same quality standards, and so women may not even know exactly what type of medication they actually are getting, and whether or not it, it is you know meeting even you know if you will the FDA quality standards for for these drugs, and so. When the floodgates open like this, we're, we're going to see potential risks, especially even to, to women. We we know that there are numerous cases, and it could be upward of, of at least one percent or so, where the the abortion pill does not work, and then you, you're looking at the need and the necessity for a surgical procedure. If you're in a state where these surgical procedures are clearly illegal, how does the woman you know get you know there? And so now you're. An even grayer and murkier area of women that have endangered their health because they may not have had an ultrasound performed. They don't know how far along their pregnancy is. They're attempting to take a drug for which they're pregnancy does not can now actually be terminated by this drug because they didn't know how far along they were. They're going into the ERs. We're seeing upticks in ER visits because of medical abortions that are not even necessarily accurately reflecting just the harm and the risk to women for this. And and that's part of what we're seeing with the lawsuit that's questioning the FDA approval of this drug and, and how it went through in this rather expedited fashion when it it did not actually dot the i's and cross the t's um, to to qualify for the the approval process that it went through and so it it will be very interesting to see uh, what what comes out of texas as this review process takes place because of the, the number and the increased cases exactly like you're describing where there are these you know low-quality drugs that are doing physical harm to the women who are taking them for a wide variety of reasons and then have no recourse for additional help.
1: And, you know, sadly, at least heretofore, if you had to go to a physician to get a prescription, at least there was a little bit of potential medical oversight, albeit, as we mentioned, uh, very, very little in terms of, uh, you know, blind testing and, and really understanding the, the long term health effects and implications of uh, abortifacients like RU-486. I mean, that was literally rushed through, considered by the pro-abortion end of the spectrum to be a miracle drug with very little attention paid whatsoever to side effects or the impact on the mother's health both short medium and long range term now you take out of the equation even a, a, a modicum of medical oversight and it's essentially being allowed by the FDA to be a Trafficked from across, you know, one border to another. I mean, you go online. Listen, there's all kinds of medication that you can get online, and and a so-called quote-unquote doctor that will sign the prescription, and they're going to do it for a patient they'll never even set eyes on. And who's going to track all of that? How how, how are they even going to be aware of what the severity of the side effects might be, up to and including even potential death? for a woman because the controls and protections are not there at the federal level.
3: Absolutely. And it's been rolled back even worse so that the protections are actually stripped. And so bad abortion providers can't even be prosecuted under this. They're indemnified under so many of the laws, especially coming out of California. And you, you just, you're you're exactly right in terms of the fact that women are the ones that are at the, the greatest risk of, of harm as, as a result of these just Terrible practices in no other place, and in no, with no other medical procedure, would you have a self-managed care for, for the termination of a pregnancy? That, that's that's absurd, and yet that's exactly what we're seeing come out of Sacramento. Of oh, this is this is this is great. This is how we want to go ahead and, and see you know abortion you know access increased, and it's it's harmful to women to not get that level of medical care that they deserve. But whether it's telehealth whether it's an online order form that where they don't even interact with a doctor in any other case that this probably be deemed some form of medical malpractice yet in this case where oh this this is perfectly fine and appropriate and Just consistently, we see more and more women that that are going to be the ones that are facing more oftentimes long-term effects as a result of this without ever being given good, accurate information and data or ever being seen accurately and and uh, well-treated by a medical professional.
1: Well, and sadly, in states like ours and certainly New York and and other um, predominantly blue states, uh, under any other conversation, any other set of circumstances, this would be considered reckless endangerment. Um, and and sadly, though it gets touted as uh, freedom and choice, uh, when the potential impact here can be quite devastating and. You know, whistling whistling right past the graveyard, as the old saying goes. Karen Roseberry, spokesperson with the California Pro Life Council. Karen, we appreciate the update. We'll continue to follow the story. More information available on the web at California dot ORG. That's Californiaprolife.org.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: The cat recording going back many, many years. In fact, 97 years young. I ain't gonna grieve. A Columbia record recording of Amy Simple McPherson and choir. This year of 2023, of course, marks the 100th anniversary of the Church of the Foursquare Gospel, or more accurately put, the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel. And to talk a bit about this amazing milestone, we are pleased to have joined us today, the Associate Supervisor for the Foursquare Western District and the Founder and Senior Pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship in Hayward, Pastor Timothy Russell. Pastor Russell, welcome.
4: So glad to be here with you, Craig. Always a pleasure to be talking Yes. The Gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of the Lord with you. So thank you for having me on.
1: Let me get your reaction to that that amazing recording. That was a little gem that I unearthed and I don't know that there are many out there like that, but uh, but uh, certainly um, a great throwback to I think what is arguably probably one of the two most influential women of the early 20th century and the, the two names that come to mind for me would be aviatrix Amelia Earhart and Amy Simple McPherson, who, for some folks today, may not recognize the name, but to consider her to be, what in the modern vernacular, a rock star, would certainly describe the influence of her ministry that continues on to this very day, 100 years after the founding of the International Church of the Foursquare Gospel down in Los Angeles.
4: I'll tell you, I'm with you 100% on that. I think that there are certain people that God has blessed blessed us with on this earth that have made an impact that we feel long after they're gone. You know, I believe that Amy walked in her purpose, her design. Um that God spoke over her life um, while she was still in her mother's womb. and uh, she's she to me is a trailblazer. She's um, a woman um, that had tremendous faith. I always say this statement that she that she made, dig the hole and God will fill it. man, that to me, right there, that's just powerful um that we're celebrating a hundred years because, In January of 1923, she held her very first service at Angelus Temple. And now 100 years later, we get to celebrate all that God has done in Foursquare and in the U.S. and around the world. It's crazy to imagine all the things that are going on around the world through this vision that God gave her in you know, that was launched in 1923. So I, I'm excited to be a part of this 100 year celebration.
1: One of the thing that I think is remarkable to me, you know, oftentimes as Californians, we get a bad rap around the other uh, 49 states of the union. And part of that I think is is deserved. And part of it I think is, is, is terribly misplaced. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. If you look at some of the spiritual history of the state of california and i'll take you back to the the early 20th century with the azusa revival a lot of the momentum of which on the heels of azusa street was kind of picked up by amy simple mcpherson and the ministry in southern california and then fast forward to scant sixty, fifty, sixty 50 60 years now we've got the jesus movement of Southern yeah. California. In fact, there's even a new film out uh, depicting a lot of the, the, the ministry influence that Chuck Smith had. And so as much as I think folks tend to kind of write off California, politically, we certainly have <laughs> have our issues, but there is a long and very incredible spiritual legacy in the state of incredible movements of God. And to be sure, sitting here here a century later, on yep. the heels of the sacrifices that were made by n- not only Amy Simple McPherson, but, but so many that were involved in the foundation of that ministry. And, of course, her focus, start to finish, was always outreach, evangelism, reaching the lost with the gospel message. I mean, that, 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 was, that was literally at the very center of the four-square gospel. And yet, sadly today, there are some churches that evangelism and outreach almost seems like an afterthought.
4: Yeah, you know, Greg, you you hit it right on the nose. we become a church. And I say we because I'm just the body of Christ. Um, We become a church where it's come to us if you need help. Whereas Amy was a Pentecostal evangelist. I mean, her her thought was we got to go to them. And you're right, churches... Are not doing that work as well as we should be. It's more than just having a sign that you wave on the street as people are driving by. It's more than just, you know, sending out a postcard to say we're in the neighborhood. Will you come by? It's more than having church in the park once a month or once a year to check that box. And, oh, we did a great job because most times the church in the park is just your congregation and a friend or family member of that congregation. But, man, evangelism is about winning the lost. It's about going and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and that he can heal their hearts. He can heal their minds. I'm just thinking of Amy and the woman at the well probably being best friends in heaven right now running around because what she did, Amy, was equivalent to what the woman did at the well when she went into the city and said, come meet a man that told me everything that I've ever done. And the whole city came out to me. Gee, see, to me, that's evangelism. And I can preach on that all day long. Great. That's evangelism to me, where the city that you went and said, come meet a man, follows you back to the church house follows you back to the prayer room to meet Jesus.
1: So when scripture talks about going out into the highways and byways and compelling them to come in, and and to your point, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong and we certainly applaud churches that will go door to door and pass out cards and invite folks to come out and have right. church in the park and and think of creative ways in which to to further the gospel. What when scripture says go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. What What is that saying?
4: Well, it means evangelism is dirty. It's dirty. It's not clean. It's dirty. Um, the Lord gave me a while ago, um, years ago, he said, go shake the trees and rattle the bushes and whatever falls out bring them to me. Man, come on, man. I'm getting emotional thinking about that right now because I was once in that tree. I was once in that bush and the Lord sent somebody to shake the tree or rattle the bush and I fell out. Um, I think evangelism is compelling them by, by all means necessary. If it's first feeding you, if it's first clothing you I remember my mom and dad brought somebody home when we were kids um, to the house they were pastoring and this person showed up to the church and had not taken a bath and I don't know when and I remember they brought him home and and told me and my brother I was real young about six and my brother was all he's nine years older than me he's about 15 and he's like go in there and bathe him go in there and bathe him and I'll tell you Craig I remember the ring around the tub after we bathed him. I probably didn't do much of the bathing. I was just there in a learning mode and maybe had some soap in my hand. I can't remember. All I remember is the ring around the tub. I don't even remember bathing him. I don't remember nothing. I remember, oh, man, I think that can preach, huh, Greg? The ring around the tub represented that we had done the work of Christ by bathing him and the ring around the tub represented evangelism. That is evangelism because it is dirty, it's not clean, it's not cute, it's ugly. Uh, and uh, But if we're doing it, the ugliness becomes beauty because what did he say? I will give you beauty. A garment of beauty, a headpiece of beauty, is what he said, for all of your mourning. And sin causes us to mourn. It causes us to be in pain. And Jesus says, bring them to me. Go get them and watch me turn their life around.
1: And I wonder if sometimes we just tend to be forgetful, Uh, you know, that passage of scripture that talks about. And as were some of the you, I think sometimes we sort of drift away from our first love yes. or we get so comfortable in our own spirituality that we forget where we came from. We forget that Christ paid a price for all of us. Come on. Th- that means the casual sinner who maybe pays his taxes on time, never kicks the dog, never beats the wife, does all the things that are supposed to be right in life, and yet has never surrendered to Christ, has never turned their life over to Jesus. Amen. Along with the most vile sinner that is out there robbing, stealing, living like the devil seven days a week, and yet the same sacrifice on the cross that Christ made for the gentleman who just simply has never surrendered, is the same sacrifice that covers the same level of sin for the person that's out there just sinning like the devil. And I think sometimes we, we forget the power of that first love if you've just joined us, our conversation today with Pastor Timothy Russell, Associate Supervisor for the Four Squares Western District, and also the Senior Pastor at New Hope Christian Fellowship in Hayward and Fremont. A brief timeout back to more of our conversation in just a moment